Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first reading today comes to us from Psalms chapter 133. Please join me and listen for the word of the Lord. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the bread on the bread of Aaron running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Our second lesson is taken from Matthew 14, 13, this is the feeding, Matthew's account of the feeding of the 5,000. And listen to where you think it might intersect with our communion table and worldwide communion today. We've heard this before. I invite you to listen again with fresh ears. It is Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured the sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. The hour is now late. Send the crowds away, Jesus, so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, "Um, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. They took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A story is told by Parker Palmer. Parker Palmer is a nationally known theologian and Christian educator. He was on a flight and recounted this story. He was in a layover 
unexpected, that was lengthy. Few folks left, few folks got on. And they were waiting and waiting for the refreshment vehicle to come, and something had happened. It had broken down. They were trying to reroute another, and the pilot makes an executive decision that it's more important to get them where they need to be in a timely fashion rather than to wait forever for the snacks. So he takes off, and as soon as they're in the air, the grumbling starts. A plane ticket is a contract. And a part of that contract are snacks. There are no snacks. Somebody else says, you know what? I'm going to sue. I'm going to sue. Third guy stands up. I'm a lawyer. Who wants to join me in a class action lawsuit against this airline? And then the flight attendant takes the microphone and the PA system and says, thank you for joining, for riding this airline. We're sorry about the snack vehicle. We thought it was more important to get you where you were going. You'll notice the captain has turned off the seatbelt light. We are just approaching 30,000 feet, our cruising distance. Now, I was on the connecting flight that most of you were on, and I saw you, she said. Most of you took at least two or three bags of peanuts. I would invite you to open those extra bags of peanuts and share it with those around you. If you have mints, I would invite you to share those mints with people around you. If you have a newspaper, you can't read it all at once, so I invite you to send the sections of your newspaper around so everyone can share it and different people can be reading it. And if you are a parent or a grandparent, I invite you to show everyone around you pictures of your children or grandchildren. And in that moment, things changed and settled down. And so toward the end of the flight, again, Parker Palmer, this happened. This isn't a joke or a made-up scenario. He sees her and says to her, what is your name and the name of your supervisor? Because I want to write them a letter and tell them how fantastic that was. That is the best example of team leadership I've seen in a long time. And she says, well, it still works. And he said, what still works? The loaves and the fishes still work. So today we are immersed in the loaves and fishes. We are at table for this meal. Real quick to debrief the story. This is the only miracle, and think about this, the only miracle in all four Gospels that are told in relatively the same way. There are miracles all over all the Gospels, but there's a healing in this Gospel that wasn't in the other. There's a walking on water here that wasn't in another Gospel. This is the only one told in all four Gospels, and Matthew and Mark tell it twice. So six times Jesus feeds large groups of people. First, it's the 5,000, and then Mark and Matthew, again, at a separate event, it's not the retelling of the same story, it's the 4,000. I'll get back to that. So we need to pay attention to this particular miracle, because everyone is telling it, and again, they told it multiple times. So it begins with, and having heard that, Jesus went away to a deserted place. What did he hear? 
Our passage doesn't include that, but we have to know that. John the Baptist was just killed. And remember, John the Baptist and Jesus were close to one another. We believe both of their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, were cousins, which makes them distant cousins as well, and family and kin on some level. They probably grew up in general vicinity and knew each other. John was the precursor of Jesus. Remember the baptizing first before Jesus even came, and Jesus had John baptize him. Some of the first disciples were disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus. In John's account, two of the disciples were following John, and Jesus comes and John says, that's him, the one I was telling you about. That's John's purpose, to say, that's him, to point the way to Christ. And then those disciples said, all right, let's go. So this is a big deal to the disciples and who, some who followed John first and to Jesus himself. This was most likely a friend and family member that he was relatively close to. Dead. Herod Antipas killed him. And so now he had just been informed and Jesus was going away to grieve out of the tentacles of the leadership of the temple and of the Roman authorities. He's going away to a deserted place to have a little time of grief and downtime. But they wouldn't let him. The crowds saw Jesus and they followed him and brought him to this place. And when he saw him, what might your response be? Let's say you just lost a close family member and crowds of people are coming to you and asking for specific things of you, is that the right time? No. Jesus could have said, hey, get, get, just give me an hour. Just give me two hours. How about you stay here and we'll start in the morning? No. Jesus sees them and has compassion on them. Compassion. And he starts to heal the sick. Jesus here is at the height of his popularity. We're about midway through the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 14, it goes to 28. He hasn't started yet the descent that will get him to uh, Jerusalem for Holy Week. They haven't yet started openly plotted to have him crucified. Everybody is following Christ now because something's going on. People have seen him, they're following him, they've heard his teaching, they've seen the miracles, and this is another. So Jesus is at the height of his popularity. So the crowds are coming. They're following them, cannot get away. And so Jesus, again, has compassion on them, heals them. And at the end of the day, disciples say, hey, Jesus, we got, we got to get them out of here. Sun's getting ready to go down. They haven't eaten all day. There's nothing around here. They, we're have to, they all have to go find villages where maybe they can eat. And Jesus says, oh, no. We can feed them right here. And disciples say, uh, we are not equipped. We do not have what we need to take care of these people. Nobody's logging food. Nobody had brought it from the towns and villages. Jesus says, what have you got? Five loaves, two fishes. Bring them to me. 
So Jesus takes them, looks up, blesses them, breaks it, and gives it. To who? The crowd? No, to the disciples. Jesus doesn't directly give food to the people. He feeds them indirectly through the disciples. The disciples thought, we don't have what is required. And Jesus says, come on, let's do this together. I will give you what you need, and then you go and feed the people. That's kind of nice, isn't it? That is the way that God has set up this journey, this existence, all the way through the Bible. Could God have done the flood without keeping Noah? Did God need Noah? God could have just created people again after the flood. God could have just given Noah an ark and said, hey, there's an ark over there. You and your family go get it. But he made Noah prepare it. He sent Abraham and said, you need to leave from here and go where I'm sending you and you will be a father of nations. Did God have to use Abraham? Of course not. Ezekiel, speaking to the captives in in Babylon, he says, tell my people that there's going to be a time I bring them back and all will be redeemed. Did Did God have to go through Ezekiel? Of course not. Moses on a hillside taking care of the sheep. They said, go down, Moses. Let my people go. Did God need to use Moses? No. But God chose to be in partnership. Ananias said, you go to a street called Straight. I'm going to send you a sin-sick soul by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He's a mess. We are going to take care of him, and he is going to do amazing things. Did God need Ananias to do that? No. Did God need Mary to welcome in the Son of God, God incarnate, to come in? Why couldn't Jesus just have descended as an adult and we just get started? No, because God has chosen to be in partnership with you, with me, and the world. I've heard it said that we cannot do anything without God, and God chooses not to do anything without us. And so today we are about being partners with God. God has chosen, and just like those disciples on that mountainside who said, we don't have enough to fill, to give these people what they need. And Jesus says, oh yeah, oh yeah, we do. You've got everything you need already. How many times do we, like all those, most of those people that I just mentioned in the Bible who said, oh no, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna do that. I don't have what it takes. I'm I'm not, whatever. God says, yeah, yeah, you got enough. I'm going to send you, you go. We are in the same position every day as we seek to go into the world to be the disciples of Christ. We don't think we have what we need, but we do. We don't think that God is using us in the same way that God used those first disciples, but God is. It is our job to take the food that God has given us, just like those first disciples, physically and spiritually, and go feed the world in Christ's name. Your challenge this week, I've been giving you one every week, I've moved from homework to mission to challenge. I like challenge, I think. Your challenge is to go this week and feed someone physically or spiritually. 
There are those in this room, there are those in the world who have cut God off and we are literally starving ourselves because we will not let the feast of God into our lives and hearts because we are afraid of what that means for us. And we are missing the feast that God, of abundance that God is waiting to fill us with. So your challenge is to go into the world. If you need to start in your own home, fine. Maybe you feed somebody who is hungry physically. On the street, in your world, people in, that God will place in your corner of the world this week. But even more so, spiritually, what can you do to help somebody who is hungry and starving from a spiritual perspective? Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's a direct conversation. Maybe it's a written card. Maybe it's going to serve. Maybe it's taking someone out for coffee or a literal meal that is more spiritual than it is physical. That is your challenge this week. We are being called to be Christ's disciples. We have everything we need to go feed them, especially when we allow ourselves to be fed first.